0: Welcome to Paddling the Blue. With each episode, we talk with guests from the Great Lakes and around the globe who are doing cool things related to sea kayaking. I'm your host, my name is John Chase, and let's get started Paddling the Blue. Welcome to today's episode of Paddling the Blue. Today, I'll be joined by Kevin O'Sullivan, and I was introduced to Kevin by Mick O'Mara. Now, if you recall, Mick joined me for episode 35, where he shared the story of his record-setting 23-day circumnavigation of Ireland. Well, Kevin's story is similar to Mick's, but very different. While both Mick and Kevin are part of the brotherhood of those who've circled the Emerald Isle, Kevin's journey spanned 915 days. Yes, you heard that right, but now you get to hear the real and the whole story. So before we get to Kevin's story, if you're a longtime listener, thank you for coming back. We appreciate you. And if you're a new listener, thank you for finding us. We appreciate you as well. I want to send a special thank you to all of our guests to date and those who will come in the future. We've got some great episodes lined up, so I'm I'm looking forward to these, and I'm certainly hoping you are as well. If you enjoy the show, I hope you'll consider supporting the show by visiting us at www.paddlingtheblue.com and clicking the little coffee cup link in the bottom corner of the page. Consider dropping a small donation to help offset the cost of running the show. It really helps. Every little bit helps. So thank you to everyone who's shown their support and those who will help in the future. With that, enjoy today's episode with Kevin O'Sullivan. Hello Kevin, welcome to Pedaling the Blue. Hi
1: John, thanks for having me, I'm really looking forward to this chat. don't yes. know where it's going to take us, another, another adventure.
0: Oh, it'll definitely be fun, I'm looking forward to it as well. So tell us a little bit about you.
1: Okay, well, my name is Kevin O'Sullivan, I've uh, grown up here just uh, in Dublin in, on the east coast of Ireland and been involved in various sports over the years, mostly associated with water, windsurfing, kitesurfing, kayaking, swimming, sea swimming. I suppose I got myself qualified as a kayak instructor to help out the sea scouts here over the years. That led me to uh, where I find myself talking to you for my circumnavigation of Ireland. But I'll get into more detail with that later, if you like.
0: Yes, absolutely. So we connected through Mick O'Mara, and uh, Mick shared some information with me about your circumnavigation of Ireland. Now, according to performanceckayak.co.uk, you hold the record for the longest circumnavigation of Ireland at 915 days.
1: That's correct, and it's a record I don't think Mick is ever going to break, so (laughs) (laughs) that's safe by me. Yeah, I'd I'd always um, harbour the idea, having heard about it way back maybe 25 years ago, that I'd like to circumnavigate Ireland in a kayak, but unfortunately, because I'm prone to seasickness in sailing boats or even ferries, it, it really, I didn't see a way that I could possibly do it. And like the thoughts of spending a month or a month and a half, you know, completely committed as well with my job. I work as an airline pilot with Aer Lingus here. I, I couldn't seem to get the time and I wasn't sure that I'd actually be able to do it. So it, it, it all came about, I suppose, came to a head when I started talking to a friend of mine that I was involved with in the Sea Scouts here, Mark Murphy's his name. He was my right hand man. And I mentioned the idea that I'd like to try it. And he just said to me, just start, just start someday just pick it and go and um that combined with my my wife who came up with the idea she says why don't you just do a section of coast you know a number of kilometers maybe 20 30 kilometers see how we get on move on a little bit and then come back and maybe go back and do more like so that was when the piecemeal approach started and and it it worked over three summers Uh, i I completed the second navigation
0: all right but i find that the, the record very inspiring uh, because of the way that you chose to do that I mean not everybody has the the opportunity or the ability to do a, a full-out 30 day plus circumnavigation and be able to, to take off from the rest of life and uh, so tell us a little bit about why you chose to do this circumnavigation it
1: was more like a personal challenge. Actually, it, 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 the root of it came from teaching the Sea Scouts. So I, I got a lot from the Sea Scouts, or actually from the Land Scouts, even though we had kayaking in, in the Land Scouts. is a bit unusual here. And uh, as a young boy, you know, and I got so much confidence and stuff from that that I thought at some stage I'd like to get back into the Scouts uh, in, in my later years. like So they were short to see kayak instructor here in... Um, just a kai constructor here in Scary Sea Scouts, and I got myself qualified. And after working with them for a number of years, I noticed that the kids were really pushing themselves and very young kids were doing capsizes and taking off their spray decks. And they they were really outside their comfort zone. And I was sort of sitting fat, dumb and happy looking at these guys feeling very confident in myself. And then I said, well, why don't I push myself outside my comfort zone and um, and do something that sort of scares me? And that combined with uh, Mark passing who was he was in the sea skates with me and he had just just before he passed a few months before he passed he just sort of said just do it Kev just start and that was when I decided to take a leap into the dark like I I had a bit of a bit of an imposter syndrome in the realm of long distance sea kayaking because I suppose the one trip I had done over to Scotland from Northern Ireland I was seasick for four of the seven hours it took me to cross and uh, the whole shooting gallery like feeding the feeding the fishes and everything like it was. It was really tough. So I had a bit of a mountain to climb, but I decided I'd I'd go for it.
0: So Mark was your inspiration then?
1: Well, Mark, Mark. Well, actually, I met Mick as he came through here on his circumnavigation and uh, he was going for the record, which he now holds and I met him in a pub up at the up at the uh, the harbour here. And he was huddled in a corner with his hands around a a bowl of hot soup. And he looked like a guy who'd come off Everest. He was after battling into a southerly wind for about forty five K. He brought him back to the house here and I fed him. And um, I actually gave him my dinner. He didn't realize at the time but I gave him my dinner. (laughs) And um, he just started telling me, "Kev, you can do this. You can. And he really looked into my eyes and he says, you can do it. Sorry, that just gets me. And um, I just thought I could take the leap. And um, and then when my friend passed away, I thought I have to do this. I just have to do it. Like and uh, the joy of being alive and still being alive really sort of got into me. And I just decided, yeah, see what happens. In fact, when I started the the circumnavigation, I was writing a blog on, on Facebook. I didn't call it a circumnavigation. I called it my odyssey because I didn't really believe that I could get all the way around without taking unnecessary risks. It sort of grew as the trip went, you know.
0: How did you go about planning the trip? And once you made that decision to start?
1: It's like eating an elephant, like you can do it one mouthful at a time. So for some reason that just occurred to me, I don't know why it took so long for it to go. I'm a bit slow sometimes at picking up things, but I just decided it's a whole lot of day trips connected that will ultimately lead to a circumnavigation. So I thought, right the first few sections of coast down the East Coast from Dublin, down to the southeast corner of Ireland, Cairnswer Point, is served by a. a, There's a train that runs all the way from Dublin down. So I said, all I have to do is get myself down the coast, you know, get someone to mind my kayak. My kayak never came home until it circumnavigated. I did. I just took the train home like uh, each time from. So I I would plan it with the commute in mind. So I remember when I when I arrived in Cairnswer Point to get the train that serves the ferry, there's a ferry there that goes to the UK and France. Uh, I had a train to catch basically I was on the water paddling towards this place and I had to make a train <laughs> to get back to Dublin you know so that worked quite well and and it and, and it was like that all the way along sometimes it was one time in the northwest actually there's a little airfield on a beach in Donegal and I had a plane to catch which was fantastic and I used friends as well and I you know, so it was legit. I work as an airline pilot, so it's all about logistics and linking up and uh, schedules and timetables and all that stuff. So I was used to the format of a trip. I enjoyed that aspect to it, and also I only, I worked four days on, four days off. So I, I had um, I had time to commute, do a two or three days paddling, and then commute back. So it was just kept it kept it rolling that way.
0: Did you do the trip year round, or did you just certain parts of the year?
1: Mostly summer, with the shoulders like from, say, April to September, October, the first year, and I uh, did it, I uh, went on into November because it was just the southeast coast, which is not as exposed as the west coast of Ireland, which faces onto the Atlantic. So it was mostly summer months with longer daylight and longer opportunity to paddle. I mean, typically, the certain navigators here, they do it like on the summer holidays, you know, June and July, you know, and the, the long summer days. So um, it gets less uh, efficient when daylight, uh, is is at a minimum you know so
0: so you left your boat did you leave the rest of your kit as well any no, of the no staff? initially
1: <laughs> see that's interesting yeah it was so good because I learned so much because I did it over such a long period of time it actually the amount I learned about how to pack my kit as I went and what to bring and what not to bring changed so by the time I finished I was a very efficient. Expedition paddler. But at the start, I did stupid things like I put my spare kayaks in the back of my boat. For, I don't know why I put them there. And uh, my first day when I paddled from Skerry's here down to Ireland, so was only about 23 kilometres, 24 kilometres away. It was on a northeasterly breeze. But the swell really picked up. And uh, I was thinking, God, if I, if I have a problem with these paddles, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get those other ones. Without, I mean, it's a simple, basic sea kayaking thing that your spare blades, your splits are in the foredeck. So simple things like that, uh, and so so my kit, yeah, basically my kit, uh, the IKEA bags. This, this this I don't know if you have IKEA there, but oh yes, this, the, yeah. So big IKEA bags were fantastic because they could carry a lot of gear, uh, a lot of bulky gear, and um, I clip them closed with carabiners, and I could carry them on the train or on on a, on a bus. Basically, uh, I decided when I bought the the kayak. It's a Turan, a rock pool Tyrann, which mm-hmm. uh, which Mick had. I paddled through here, plus a few others.
0: Sure.
1: I decided that the kayak was only going to be back, it stored back in my back garden when it had circumnavigated Ireland. I just made that statement to myself. I looked at the shelf and said, when it comes off that shelf, it'll only go back up when it's paddled around Ireland. So that was my continuous link. All the kit that I put in the, the kayak, basically, uh, I eventually ended up bringing it all back each time. Initially, I left one or two pieces, but that didn't really work because my note on what I'd left in the kayak and what I brought home, usually got lost so uh, i i ended up just bringing everything back and it meant i could tie you know if stuff had to be repaired or washed or whatever i could do it so that was it so two ikea bags worked great because they could just be rolled up once i got to where it was going they could be rolled up and stuffed into the car didn't take up much room i use them in planes trains automobiles <laughs> and uh, worked quite well i also had an inflatable roof rack that i rolled up and a couple of times I had to use that which is really handy if my kayak was being stored a little bit away from the coast and uh, whoever was collecting it didn't have a roof rack so
0: so how did you arrange to store it at all those places
1: well it's interesting see being in the sea scouts I had some contacts with see I just ring up someone from the local sea scout troop which tended to be along the coast and uh, they would take in the, the kayak also I decided someone mentioned to me that why not do it for charity so I did it I linked Medicine Sans Frontier and the RNA that the lifeboat institution here in Ireland the UK, onto it. And I made the guts to 3,000 euro, uh, which I split down the middle for them. And so the lifeboat stations took them in. I also have friends along the coast. And sometimes I just cold call people. There was one place in particular down the very southwest of Ireland, near Misenhead. I was called into a place called Crookhaven. It's actually a crook, or a, like um, the coastline looks like a crook tiny little village there and I I, I rang a a friend of mine, John Hines, who's also circumnavigated and he told me to contact uh, uh, Jorg in this little village. He he has a a jeweller shop himself and his wife. So I rang them up and I told them I was passing through there will be a chance of leaving the boat there and they absolutely said yes. Then unfortunately my my father died when I was uh, heading towards their place and we had to come home and go to the whole thing of burying my dad. but when I arrived back a week later, I was letting them know that I was on the way and they said, oh, we're actually out of town. But they arranged another guy to meet me and they said, by the way, in order to get to the bus, uh, which is about eight kilometers away, uh, they left their car in their driveway I opened with the keys hidden so that I could take the car and drive to the pub in the next village, <laughs> and get the bus and they just had, had an envelope in the car, I put the keys in the envelope, give it into the public. And uh, I just thought that was the coolest thing. So I, they were just a cold call. They were so helpful. You know, So, oh, oh. that was just one of the unusual examples of getting. But people are so the thing I noticed, actually, the thing I noticed was pe- like sometimes I laid it on thick when I landed somewhere. Like I just said, I'm circumnavigating Ireland. I wasn't shy about saying what I was doing because I wanted people to help me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have to be honest. and. <laughs> they just in, they just wanted to be a part of the adventure they were so delighted to be a part of the adventure to hear about it and to you know and then there was times when i needed my bit of silence because i was packing my kit for the day and I had to make sure i pack it properly and i couldn't be talking to too many people at that stage but other than that people really really helpful you
0: know so many of these trips and some times when i talk to guests it, it comes down to the people and uh, the people that they meet and uh, the experiences that they have along the way. So tell us a little bit more about some of those experiences. You, you mentioned the one with the, the folks down in uh, uh, that loaned you their vehicle. Well, what else?
1: Yeah, I, I, I landed at a famous place in Ireland called the Cliffs of Moher. You may have heard of
0: them. Mm-hmm. Been there a couple times.
1: There. Yeah, okay. And so you know what I'm talking about. So yep. the, the closest, I went clockwise around Ireland. So I approached them from the south across Lahinch Bay and I landed in a place called Clahan it's a flaggy shore like flat rock that leads up to a, a small road with a lot of cottages so it was beautiful day there was very little wave and i i, I was a, able to use my trolley over these rocks and was pulling my kayak up onto the small coast road there with a few cottages behind and this guy appears and he asked me do you need a hand getting your kayak up and i said absolutely so he, he helped me up with the kayak and i told him that i had just come ashore a few minutes previous and i was looking for a place to camp uh, but the, the, there was nowhere obvious there was the fields were terrible and the, the board on the road is really bad. But his garden was like a like a putting green. And I said to him, I said right beside the road. And I said to him, would there be any chance I could camp in your garden just for the night? And he said, no way. You can't. You're not going to be camping in our garden. You're going to stay in the house. <laughs> so, yeah. And uh, it was fantastic because he's a guy who actually lives in America. He's from Limerick and himself and his wife. They, they brought me in and like within I'd say 20 minutes of being there they gave me the key and they said they had to go off you can just stay there and lock up when you're going and see you later on or whatever and i get just incredible like and like when you're on an expedition the the, the hassle sometimes of unpacking gear and pitching a tent and getting out your little stove and getting water and all that stuff it's great fun but after a long day and it was a long day that day it was just like a treat to get into a real bed and uh, I had to leave early in the following morning and they were looking forward to breakfast with me. But I looked at the weather and it was going to turn. I was going over to the Aran Islands. You probably know them. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was going around under the Cliffs of Moher and I had to get on the water early. And as I was paddling over to the Aran Islands in these reasonable swell that was rolling, that my phone started buzzing and it, they had woken up and driven to the top of the Cliffs of Moher and they were looking out with their binoculars to try and see me, but they couldn't see me and they were just checking that I was OK. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah that was, that was a great, yeah, that was a great snip there.
0: So how many different segments did you do?
1: I did 49 segments. Some of them were half days. I'd commute on a day. I might use a train and then get a bus and maybe get a lift and then walk with my kayak. I remember Ackle Island. I did that. I think there was four different elements to the commute. So by the time I got on the water, it was quite late in the day. And I did about just 15 kilometers just to camp somewhere along the way. Yeah, I typically paddle for... Three days was the max I did in a row. Occasionally I did one day because of weather windows. I decided I was only going to do this once and I was going to enjoy the journey. I didn't want to be back. Mick had some incredible conditions he told me about. Uh, I didn't want to be faced with that. So it was up to three days with the community either side bookending the trip.
0: So 49 different segments. How many paddling
1: days altogether then? Oh, they're all paddling days. So they're paddling days. So, yeah, so 49
0: so. paddling days basically. Oh, yeah, that's
1: what I mean. Yeah. But I mean, some of them were half days, so I mean, sure. Probably bring it down to about forty five. Uh, so either end of those, there was a commute. But, uh, you know, the initial commutes were only a couple of hours. Some of the commutes were nearly all day You know, from remote parts, you know, and I would stay with friends or like my siblings. I've a my brother lives up in Sligo in the northwest. My sister lives in Galway and another sister who lives in Carlow who came down to, to ferry me as well. She she went to the, drove to the coast to help me. So, um, yeah, my, my favourite commute has to have been the airplane, though, because I work as an airline pilot. So mm-hmm. to get on an airplane after paddling, that was a really fantastic morning I had paddling, probably my fastest stretch. I think I did up to 16 kilometres an hour of the waves behind me up the coast to this little airfield. Wow. And then to to change and go into a little, tiny terminal. And I was actually yeah, a little bit worried that the airplane might be able to land. It was so the cloud was so low and it was, it was quite windy, but it did. And it, and it took me back to Dublin and my car was sitting waiting for me, you know, so
0: so what was the longest segment that you did
1: so yeah the longest segment was from crookhaven which i mentioned earlier with the um york from there up to uh cather daniel was 60 kilometers yeah i started doing about 25 to 30 kilometers and uh, i was sort of people were hinting now that you got to do more like you know when you get good weather you got to push it and uh, it was really very short days i was doing initially so i managed to do a 60 but that was a that was around Mizenhead, so mm-hmm. that Misenhead is the southwesternmost point of Ireland, Malin being the northernmost. And there were big their big yeah, milestones. And it just now there was a swell, an old swell, but it was very benign, you know. I mean it was just fantastic. And I just decided to clock it up. It was fairly bushed after, like sixty K is enough for me, like what you know, I did that and I was fifty seven, you know, so um fifty seven years of age, like so mm-hmm. that's plenty for me. <laughs>
0: Plenty for anyone, I think. What turned out to be the, I guess I'll call it the sweet spot of the number of, of Ks you'd do in a day and you felt like that was a, a a good, solid day, but not too much?
1: Yeah, I actually, I got a bit of a buzz out of doing 42K a day because that's the same distance as a 26 mile marathon. And I thought that was respectable. Of course, it had to dovetail with my commute plans. I mean, I could have done, the days I did 42, I could have done probably half a dozen, maybe 10 more, but. I might miss my commute or my link or my where I was storing my kit or there could have been a stretch of coastline that was didn't have any get outs that was the thing that I noticed most that I really had to pitch myself properly against the committing stretches of coastline typically trying to get them at the start of a day rather than at the end of a day so I, I, I can by virtue of having such a long time to plan I was able to use Google Earth and all the rest and speak to people's previous circumnavigators and local paddlers and get some fantastic information. And I enjoyed that because it forced me to link in with other people that I may not have crossed paths with as much. So it, I everything was very well choreographed for me. And anyone who is thinking of doing something who feels a bit of an imposter syndrome, which I sort of did, it, you know, the planning, it's like anything. You put in the planning and then you just get off and enjoy it. But they, that's a sweet spot. But the sweetest place I think I paddled was after the Black Cliffs of Clare and the Cliffs of Moher, which are quite imposing to be beneath, especially solo, was uh, Connemara in West Galway. It's lovely. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a golden sort of coloured rock and it's 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 humped rock like it's it's soft rock it's um as in it looks soft it's not soft rock. yeah <laughs> what am i saying <laughs> but the look is soft the coastline is soft <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> luckily i didn't test its softness but you know what i mean so I that know. was just yep. very, yeah. very it was like a garden almost like a sea garden yeah.
0: so that was your favorite segment
1: that was my favorite segment yeah okay. and, and uh, that was uh yeah.
0: now how often did you take a personal vehicle as opposed to public transportation
1: not many times because the trouble was I had to get back to it. Um,
0: oh, yes. OK. Yeah.
1: The, yeah. So the one time I do remember using the vehicle was when I went, I don't know, you know, um, the Shannon estuary there. Mm-hmm. So I started like in Kerry and I was going to end up in Clare and uh, it was going to be hard for me to get back from Clare to Kerry, back to where my car was. So a friend of mine who, li- who was down in Kerry, he actually cycled his bike to my car drove my car to the ferry i got a lift to the ferry in the north there's a ferry cross to the shannon there okay and i got a i the guy who i stayed with offered to drive me to the ferry and i basically walked off the ferry and he met me on the far side and i was able to drop him back to his place and you know that, so uh, it was a hassle really bringing my car because i had to get back to it um which wasn't always that easy so public transport worked really well or people giving me lifts
0: See, that makes the trip even that much more interesting
1: it did like it was an element of the tra- like i love trains <laughs> i didn't say it and i don't know if i said enough or if i said too much <laughs> but I, I love trains and i love the idea of going on a train journey it's just i don't know something about it so to be sitting down I, and also those journeys i can read up the book there's a fantastic book which i think you should include and he was interested in paddling is called ilion which is the irish for island yes and it got, there's 500 islands a guy called david walsh has produced it and um, it's, it's online, there's a PDF online without the pictures. Like that was like a Bible. And I basically, as I paddled, I paddled through the pages, like, because it's in, it goes clockwise, you know, you just work your way through the book. So I could sit down on the train or the plane or whatever uh, and read the book as I was as making, just to rehearse.
0: The the logistics of your trip had to be so much more challenging than a continuous circumnavigation. Because as you mentioned, you know, you've got to find find all those bailout points. And then you've got to find points where you can make a connection to other transportation to get back to Dublin.
1: Yeah, it, that's right. And in fact, when, you know, I had a little bit of a debrief, Mick actually came here for the, when I, when I landed on, you know, on the final section, which is great. He paddled the last 10 K with me, which is came up from Waterford. I was delighted, but he said to me that he said that was one element. He said, but also this is really interesting. And I hadn't, I hadn't really thought about it until he said it to me. He said he bottled up all the fear and just buried it. And then when he was finishing, he was quite emotional. When I went and did my few days, I was able to come home and unbottle that fear, like let it out. But then I had to build myself up again for the next trip. And he said, and I had to agree with him, that every time I went back, I had to sort of say, okay, I'm on the Atlantic. I'm crossing these big stretches. I'm way out to sea, I'm under these cliffs. So there was there's a price to pay for doing it piecemeal as well. You know, after even after the third day, I felt much more confident in myself than the first and second day. So that was an interesting element, and a big part of it was trying to deal with my seasickness, which did rear its head a few times. And I tried everything, I could, and obviously I was successful. But I really had to dig deep to face off the seasickness. It was more the dizziness. I was a little bit worried being solo out at sea and being dizzy. And uh, luckily I managed to just just sneak through. I feel like I sneaked through in a way, <laughs> you know, so.
0: So as a peddler who deals with that regularly, um, I imagine there are others who, who have the same uh, situation. How do you manage that?
1: Yeah, well, you learn loads of little tricks. Obviously, I take seasickness tablets, but one guy who had trouble going around, he actually had to discontinue it years ago because of seasickness. It was very bad weather as well. He uh, he suggested um, taking a seasick tablet the night before i've never heard that before and then to take your tube before you start and uh, then just stay hydrated i was singing to myself i was shouting positive vibes at myself i was you know really like as if i was in a fight now this is i have to say only three or four times did this happen thankfully out of the 50 days i think if it happened a lot i probably would have would have um cut it short and not not completed but um i also found that after After doing the paddle, my tolerance of the sea is much better. I'm involved a little bit in sailing now and I've yet to feel anyway, nauseous sailing, which is great because for years it plagued me and it was the big, big obstacle. But my wife actually said to me, my wife is a psychologist. She's very good for this stuff. She said to me, she says, don't make it an obstacle. Just make it a challenge, the seasickness. Like, see how you can, like, I'm pretty handy in a boat. I knew that and I'm reasonably fit. So this is your challenge to deal with the seasickness." So I, I just put it there beside the other challenges rather than having it as a, oh, well, I couldn't do that because of this, which is easy to fall into
0: that. So you mentioned that your favorite segment was uh, Connemara. What was your toughest segment? Toughest?
1: Well, I had a tough segment and I had a scary segment. Okay. So the toughest segment, I think, was on the Dingle Peninsula when I had a lovely crossing. To the Blasket Islands, beautiful sunny day. The sea was blue. It was idyllic, picture postcard. And then I went under these, this place called the Three Sisters. Uh, it's a volcanic piece of rock, and it's it's like a scalloped cliff. And I went in behind the cliff, and it's about eight kilometers long until you can get into a harbor. And it's a vertical cliff that plunges into the sea. So there's no, the waves don't break at the bottom of the cliff. They just reflect. And you get this clapotis, I'm sure you mm-hmm. know what that is. It's this sure. wave. So, and there's no pattern to it. And it went from being a calm day to being like a nightmare for me. Like, and I've heard of other people having trouble along there. Like, It's just like fresh air shots with the paddle. And I was using the, the, the wings. So I really, really struggled along there. I, I found it really difficult. Like, And uh, even about a mile and a half offshore, I could see a little fishing boat. And I thought, should I go offshore? He was booking him all over the place like a book and Bronco. Hmm. And I thought, so I thought that was the toughest stretch. Like, but the scariest, scariest thing was uh, a scariest place was a place called Slying Head. It features in the ra- in the, uh, the weather forecast here. And it's, it's a broken headland that dips into the sea west of Galway and it divides the sort of the Galway Bay to the further up the west coast. And it's all rocks and reefs and islets. And it's very confusing. I, I renamed it Slime Head, <laughs> but um, I went through a little gap in the rocks. It gets all like there's almost like lanes in these rocks. Now they're not very high, the rocks, but there's basically, it's it's like a Tarantino movie. On one side it was not too bad, and then the far side it was just like the waves. I, I was really afraid. I, I surfed a kayak for years, and I you get to know what a breaking wave looks like. When I went through the gap uh, and I was heading up the coast, there was reefs and waves breaking off to my left, but then a series of waves, maybe half a dozen waves, just appeared like something you'd see in a movie from Hawaii. And I thought, "Mm, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble because to my right was just a rocky shoreline. And like, if those waves broke, I don't know, like it would have been really, so all I could do was sprint and try and outrun them and also keep a little bit in case they did hit me, you know, so to, to, to be able to roll maybe. So that was really scary. Like that really, really rattled me. And I remember landing after that and I'd already got, I had the promise of a house on an island further up the coast called Omi Island. It's famous. It's on the wild Atlantic way. You can drive to it from the tide is out. And that was where I had to make, and that was still about 14, 15 kilometers away. And I was rattled. My adrenaline gland had been pumping and I had to sit down. I had my head, you know, head in my hands and I was just trying to gather myself. But that, that was that was scary. And I think anyone who does something like this is going to come across a time when something's going to just scare you a bit more than the average day. You know, so mm. the two ends.
0: Were you able to continue that day or did you have to find another plan?
1: No, I, I continued. I had the people who had uh, helped me that, that day, um, who would start my kayak rather, Shane and, and Orla. They lived down in Roundstone. And um, they had said they would come and collect me no matter where I was. And I sat down with my head in my hands thinking, OK, Kev, are you going to keep going or are you going to call them? And I said, Jesus, just keep going. And I did. And uh, <laughs> it was so funny, though, when I arrived at this island because I wasn't going to put in at the beach beside the house. I was going to put in at the first beach I could find. It's a small island. I pulled into this beach, of course. It was a very steep beach, which isn't easy in a long kayak. It was, a, it was one field away from the road, so I had to drag my kayak over boulders and get it to the road. And then when I eventually got to the house, I discovered I tried to get into the wrong house. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, the guards actually came because they set off an alarm. They actually drove across the sand later that evening to try and find out what was going on. It was very funny when I was, I eventually found the the correct house and got myself nicely settled. But uh, they drove over from the mainland just inquiring as to what was going on. So they knocked at my door and uh, they asked me if I heard any disturbances next door. And I said, well, it was me who caused the disturbance. So that was a really dramatic day.
0: Were there any times when you thought about not continuing?
1: Yeah, I was about five days out of home here on the East Coast, heading down the Wicklow wexford Coast, and I just got a bad, one of the bad uh, bouts of feeling nauseous. And I this is the East Coast where the, we typically don't get very bad weather. It can be bad, but it's it's the big swells come on the West Coast. And I thought, how am I going to do this? And uh I remember I just said, well, what's break it down. What's wrong? Like, what's wrong with you? And I said, well, I feel seasick, but what's really wrong? It was a headache. I had a headache. So I thought, well, just take some painkiller for the headache. And I took some painkiller for the headache and I managed to do about 38, 39 kilometers that day and six hours in the water. And that just, it just gave me another little angle. Not that I want to be taking headache medication all the time, but if it ever got really bad, I could. And that was a little, a little out for me, you know, so. Yeah, so that was very early in the in the paddle, and I thought I wasn't sure I could do it. You know.
0: Now, are you referring to not being able to do that day, or are, are there any times when you thought the uh, the whole idea of circumnavigating? I'm going to stop this.
1: No, I had a real uh, chat with myself on that day about okay. the whole thing, uh, like that. Yeah, and um, as I suppose it's a sort of it has a sort of an insidious sort of a thing or an insidious thing sort of goes on because. The further you go, the less you have to travel. And that sounds sounds a bit trite, but I mean it's very true because mm-hmm. as I was accumulating the mileage and I said, Okay, say I've gone the all the south coast, which is a little bit exposed to the Atlantic, and then I started make my way up the west coast. I was halfway up the west coast and I was saying, I'm doing this. I am doing this. And I'm not sure when certain navigation appeared in my blog, but it was somewhere along the West Coast. I sort of thought, no, I can do this. Just but at the same time, I was taking nothing for granted. And the, and the fact that I could um, I could come back from the West Coast or whatever and, and just research more. I was doing an awful lot of research in these places and I had loads of time to speak to people and, and people are only too glad like people have consulted me since there's a guy I know actually who's doing it. OK, I did it piecemeal, but he's just doing a section at a time in any any direction and he basically just goes the opposite direction to the weather like so or sorry sorry he goes with the weather or if there's bad waves in the west you go on the east coast and he's basically filling the gaps in so there's many ways to skin the cat really and uh, I was a bit hooked up on this idea that you had to start on a day keep going until you got back and I realized that that was just a self-imposed idea I had and uh, generally I'm quite creative so I thought well why not just do I do it my own way
0: so those are interesting two different approaches with yours continuous circumnavigation clockwise is yeah. always starting and ending in the same spot basically um, but the other yeah. gentleman that you mentioned is just picking and choosing where he wants to go in that particular day and linking all those segments together in some are clockwise some are counterclockwise
1: yeah and i i went to frey you probably know about frey Hofmeister, this mm-hmm. uh, lunatic german paddler who circumnavigated <laughs> um Australia, South America. I'm not sure if she's finished North America, but she did a stretch on South America in the opposite direction because she was battling the weather. And like, well, she's an incredible person. And uh, one of the things she said, actually, um, that really impressed me was that being on your own has a huge advantage. If I suddenly was out in the middle of a bay and I said, I'm going to sprint in commas, commerce, question mark, for a kilometer, I could just do it. I didn't have to consult with anyone. If I wanted to go really slow for half an hour, I could. If I wanted to land, I could. So you're your own. Like, it's, it's like it's a little bit terrifying sometimes being on your own, but the, the, there are great advantages as well. And sure. ultimately, really flexible, you know.
0: What did you see and experience that others who've done it quicker did not?
1: Yeah, well, I saw a lot. And I got to meet an awful lot of people. And I just sort of felt an awful lot of people touched off the adventure. And, you know, I, I, I had people who, had promised me they would they would drive me to wherever they want I wanted in the country where I was stuck and I drew on these people and they were so glad that they were a part. And it's I know it's a solo I did a solo circumnavigation, but it's not really solo. There's so many other people who contributed to it. And I love the interaction with people. And in fact, I may be getting a little bit off the point now, but I'm just, just shooting from the hip here. One of the things I really realize is how much I really love people. If I had a tough day and I was out miles from shore doing a big crossing or I was a bit scared or whatever and I come in I just had to go and meet somebody and I go to the pub or I would meet someone in the hostel or the B&B wherever I was staying and I just I drink up people like we need each other and it just it was a really interesting insight to being a human and being part of the human race I really I I treasure it I really treasure it you know
0: that's a fantastic uh, experience and uh uh, learning absolutely
1: absolutely and also i suppose another thing I, I don't know if i've said it already but i sort of felt inspired by those kids in the scouts who had who were outside their comfort zones i felt you know anything you learn about life and about growing and about moving on in your life is about pushing yourself and getting outside your own comfort zone i'm just so glad i sort of thought it's time to capitalize on all my experience because i'd I, had a white, what downriver kayaking, I'd done surf kayaking, I'd done surf skis, surf shoes, all that stuff. And I do have a lot of experience. And I thought I need to uh, challenge that experience in, in, a, in, a, in a big arena, you know, everything I learned. And it was just great to be able to capitalize on that in a way. I don't know if that makes sense. But, I, but you know, we only get so many years on this planet. And, and it's nice to be able to use your experience in, in, well, I felt it was really good to use my experience. That really gave me a great boost inside like there was times I was really like rocky I was able to draw on that
0: so is there another trip in the in your future
1: not really in ways I that was a huge itch I had to scratch and it because it took the three years it took up a lot of time and I don't have a big dream unfulfilled at the moment um it's more about saving one of the one of the things I really got about the trip is like savoring the moment, like savoring each day. And there are a few places along the coast I've seen and I'd like to go back to And one. We've already gone back to in Northwest Donegal. We've brought some Currucks, which are uh, traditional Irish boats, open boats, rowing boats, and kayaks together. A combined trip out to that island, which was fantastic. So it's about revisiting and picking nice places to go. Like there were stretches along there that were quite boring in some ways and just had to put in the miles in order to link some really interesting places together but i don't i don't have a, a huge desire to do anything huge in the future i feel quite content to have done it It's i've sort of absorbed it into myself
0: good what was that last stretch like you're uh, you're on your last day you're coming home walk us through that
1: yeah, so the last stretch was only, it was less than 20k and it was from up the coast here on the east coast from a place called Betty's Town Beach to uh, to Skerries, uh, and flanked by beach most of the way I could get out wherever I wanted, which was very, very nice. I had a local guy, Shane Holland, uh, who paddled with me. I know him a long time. He's, he actually is the guy who has set up a whole corking group here in Skerries, the, the, the traditional Irish boats, and himself and, and uh, Mick O'Mara uh, paddled some of that with me as well. And it was almost a sense of disbelief that i done it, because I just went up and did that day on its own, like that morning, and I had people here at the house afterwards. We had a, a bit of an ease up and a bit of a celebration. but uh, I just felt amazing, really, But and it was lovely to come in onto the beach and have people welcome me home. But the day that the previous stretch, that where I landed on Bettystown Beach, my son drove out to collect me. And when he saw me land on the beach, uh, this is my second last, he just start jumping up and down and screaming and he was so excited to see the kayak again. And he'd been following my trip. I had a map in the kitchen. We used to join the dots all the way around. And I really got a buzz that he was so animated and excited at the time. You know, he would have been like, let me see, that was 2019. Like, you know, and it was, I got such a buzz out of his reaction to me completely because he really follows these ex- well, extreme athletes. I'm not saying I'm an extreme athlete, but he he loves that type of pursuit.
0: That's wonderful. You mentioned a couple of a uh, couple of charities that you worked with, RN uh, RNLI, and uh, you mentioned another one. I I didn't quite catch the name. Tell us a little bit about uh, those and and how you picked them and how you worked with them.
1: Okay, well the RNLI is the lifeboat institution and they're great. Uh, there's one here in the town, I know a lot of people who work, I've actually volunteered uh, recently as a tractor driver, I'm too old for the boat at this stage, so they're, they're a great institution. They're completely funded by voluntary uh, contributions, so that was a no-no plus. Having them on uh, side would be no harm on my trip just in case I needed to draw on <laughs> their services. But the other one was Medicine Medicines Frontier and uh, that was a few years back when there's an awful lot of people coming across the Mediterranean. From North Africa into Europe, into Greece and Italy, and places like that. And MSF, medicines of medicine without borders, medicines sans frontières. I might have said it a bit quick. Apologies. So they had a ship down there, and they were they were taking care of refugees. And the good thing about that was, anytime I felt fear on my trip, I would just think of those people. I think it's like the fear I fear is the fear I felt was nothing like the fear they must feel to be in an inflatable boat overloaded at night on a huge ocean at the mercy of these traffickers like I just really had great empathy for them so in a way I was nearly saying how dare I feel scared out here it's not a big deal you know so um, I really um, I got a lot out of that and thankfully now I got some money for the for both organizations and they were delighted with it.
0: Well, thank you for uh, organizing that and making sure you could arrange that help. So, Kevin, how can listeners reach you if they've got uh, additional questions and maybe they want to do a a trip of their own, whether it's Ireland or somewhere else?
1: Yeah, well, certainly Ireland. Uh, Well, this was the best is my email, which is uh, the easiest way to contact me. I I have on Facebook as well, Kev O'Sullivan, but uh, K E V I N C I O R U S the cloud like service at me dot com so kevinsiris at me dot com all right and uh, i'm quite happy to to speak to anyone or to respond to them
0: wonderful i will make sure i connect that uh in the uh, in the show notes and then if there's any any other resources that you have that you think might listeners might find helpful in uh planning their own circumnavigation i'd, mm-hmm. I'd love to have those and we'll put those out there again would you uh, yeah. would you do it in a similar fashion again or would you do it different
1: if i was to do it again it would be the same way yeah i i just think it's a lovely way to travel you know if there was a month of bad weather you you just stay home you don't you know i know of people who shored up for a week waiting for weather to pass and then maybe you're under a little bit of pressure to move uh, on the eighth day so uh, yeah i definitely would i'd recommend it doing it that way and um any big certain navigation i think uh, or a big project can be broken into pieces in fact a friend of mine he likes these micro adventures and like sometimes we do night paddles out here. There's three islands off scaries and we just do little night paddles out to the island. It takes two hours. We cook up a, you know, a um, cup of tea and a few biscuits and we come back and we have a fantastic little micro adventure. And uh, in the modern era now, it's you don't, can't always get two or three months off. So it's breaking into pieces. And also the, the joy lasts longer Then it's 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 not over in a flash.
0: So, Kevin, I do have one final question for you. And, uh, and it's a question that we ask all of our, our guests here on Paddling the Blue, and that is who else would you like to hear as a future guest on Paddling the Blue?
1: Yeah, I had a good think about that. So um, it's a fellow Irish paddler, fellow circumnavigator and an inspiration to me way back. Uh, he was the first guy I knew of who'd done the circumnavigation. Sean Pierce. he lived in Skerry's here for a number of years. And uh, himself and his partner, Eileen Murphy, they both circumnavigated separately. Yeah, he's, he's an incredible character. I'd like that he's, and he's fountain of knowledge when it comes to wildlife and bird life, especially mostly bird life and some cetaceans here. He's like David Attenborough on the water. I would have shared paddles with him here and uh, they run a sea kayaking business as well. So Sean Pierce, he's done so much. Yeah,
0: I'd recommend him. Excellent. Well, I'll connect with you offline and we'll get Sean's uh, contact information and then uh, see if we can get him on the show. So in, in talking about your trip, so 915 uh, days separated the beginning to the end, but 49 segments and basically 49 paddling days, and when you break it down like that, it makes a, a, a long trip seem very possible uh, to many folks. So I hope that listeners will be able to, to grab onto that and think if they're trying to do their own expedition, that certainly they can do their own circumnavigation or big, big expedition and just do it in small pieces.
1: So. absolutely yeah I mean it's just like eating the elephant one mouthful at a time and uh, I wouldn't change it I wouldn't and I'm not sure I'd like to do it in one go I, I like the idea of breaking it up
0: I think that that's a fine way to do it so Kevin this has been wonderful I have really appreciated hearing from you learning about your trip uh, and having you share your experiences with our listeners so thank you very much today
1: well, thank you Jonas. it's been my pleasure thanks for showing your interest
0: if you want to be a stronger and more efficient paddler power to the paddle is packed with fitness guidance and complete descriptions along with photos of more than 50 exercises to improve your abilities and enjoy your time on the water. The concept and exercises in this book have helped me become a better paddler and they can make a difference for you too. The exercises in the book can help you reduce tension in your shoulders and low back, use the power of your torso to create leverage and use less energy with each stroke, use force generated from your lower body to make your paddling strokes more efficient, have the endurance to handle long days in the boat, drive through the toughest waves or whitewater, protect your body against common paddling injuries, and while you're at it, you might even lose a few pounds, and who wouldn't mind that? So visit paddlingexercises.com to get the book and companion DVD. I truly love every story that I've had the pleasure of sharing, but this one spoke to me in a different way. Kevin's story makes a big adventure accessible to the everyday paddler. And Right now, there are a lot of ideas swirling around in my head as a result of this talk, and I hope he got your creative juices flowing. To come up with some of your own adventures. I was especially impressed that not only did he do it on his terms, but he did it almost exclusively using public transportation for each leg. That's an interesting twist. Our next episode will feature Joe Leach, and Joe is the current record holder for A Circumnavigation of Great Britain, and he's going to tell us about that experience and what drove him to complete that trip. So thanks again as always for listening, and I look forward to bringing you the next episode of Paddling the Blue.